Welcome to the Drowsy Eyes podcast. I'm Shoham. And uh, today we are going to talk about Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, one of our favorite stories of all time. And I believe we have a big thanks to J.K. Rowling. Big shout out to her for creating this amazing, amazing world for us. Well, when we hear about, when we talk about Harry Potter, the story in itself, like over the entire, like all the seven books and all the seven stories, it is definitely one of the best stories we have ever come across. But how important do you think the first book is that introduces us to this world of magic? Yeah, I think uh, like whenever we talk about the first book, the one that started it all, the one that made Harry Potter into a phenomenon, like uh, nobody knew about Harry Potter or J.K. Rowling as such. And when the book hit the stores, uh, it like it became a worldwide phenomenon. And like it was the first time that kids were reading such a fat book. And I guess that caught the attention of Warner Brothers, who uh, in, like after the first book became a success and it was selling mm-hmm. copies in millions and millions, if not billions then uh, it became one of the best sellers and uh, J.K. Rowling became sort of a celebrity writer overnight and uh, I guess yeah so the moment that book became a worldwide phenomenon Warner Brothers took it up and they decided ki yeah I think uh, we should capitalize on that like any good production house (laughs) and yeah that's what they did And and that brought rise to the sensation that Harry Potter is these days so, what do you think of uh, Steve Cloves doing the adapted screenplay? Like, it, I think it must be a challenge when you have something like a fantasy novel. You yeah, kind of I guess, bring that uh, to screen. Yeah, I guess uh, like the biggest challenge would have been like if I try to get into the minds of the director or the writers who were uh, like reading the book for the first time and they were given such an masculine task, it always requires hard work. And I guess uh, the biggest challenge was for the the first crew, the first writers who had to transfer this uh, and also not to disappoint the fans and uh, by fans it was majorly, majorly kids and teenagers and uh, they had this story almost like like memorized line by line and it was a story at their fingertips. Yeah, they had the story at their fingertips and it was a biggest, like the biggest challenge was to satisfy them and not to disappoint them. And also to, I guess, uh, bring new crowd into the Harry Potter universe who hadn't read the books or didn't find the time or whatever be the reason. But uh, introducing new audiences to the Harry Potter universe. And uh, it was a great success, no doubt. Although there are a couple of people, including you, who might say that the books are better. And I don't want to disagree with that because I was introduced to the Harry Potter universe uh, through the medium of film and later I went to the books. So uh, for me, the world of Harry Potter was through the eyes of Daniel Radcliffe and uh, Chris Columbus. So their vision became my reality of Harry Potter before because I didn't read the books. And I guess from that perspective, uh, they had done a great job, I would say. And also, yeah, so there might have been some parts, 
I think which you can elaborate better. Definitely. So when you talk about changes, I felt like one of the biggest changes they did was in the characters itself. Like the books had a very uh, like I would say age appropriate character descriptions. Like they were all supposed to be ten years old, and uh, in, I believe it would be a very big struggle for the screenplay when you adapt it to screenplay to make the character feel the same age because they are involved in something so extraordinary. Yeah, I guess that was one of the biggest challenges. And if I can tell you a small story about that, which I yeah. uh, heard a long time back, actually about. uh like when they were uh, going for the characters how mini in the books was described to ha- having front the ro- front row teeth which was yeah, bigger yeah buck teeth uh, yeah. buck teeth and it was supposed to be coming up, so so to say coming out of a mouth almost and right. uh, uh, when uh, chris columbus initially during the first few shoot days he was uh, sort of experimenting with emma watson and uh, they were thinking whether it would look good on screen or not and if you notice really notice next time if you rewatch the film uh, sure notice this uh, like when they arrive hogwarts express hogwarts and express. they come to hogwarts for the first time if you zoom into that frame you can actually see emma watson's teeth popping out and those were false teeth that was given to her which was later on chucked uh, like through out the film because she particularly didn't carry it that good and she wasn't looking so to say camera friendly or uh, uh, like that wasn't an attribute that was so important then uh, another one was the biggest struggle was uh, to find the uh, daniel radicliffe the character of harry potter who yeah it would be like because a, he would be the face of the entire series like he would play yeah harry exactly potter and the uh, so they, uh, the there were challenges. like thousands if not thousands of people who like kids who were uh, auditioning for that role and uh, emma watson and uh, uh, the character for ron rupert grint they were easily sorted out compared to the right. main person the main actor required to bring harry to life that was a big challenge and after rejecting hundreds of kids the producers and the director actually found the uh, kid who is daniel radcliffe as we all know uh, in a theater quietly sitting in the back seat watching a theater with his dad and the moment he turned uh uh in the place where the director was sitting uh it sort of happened that they glanced upon him and that moment they uh, like quoting their words they said that uh, like that boy had that special charm that special magic in his yeah. eyes so to say that uh, immediately quality. they thought of casting him and initially right. you would be uh, like really shocked to hear that Daniel Radcliffe's parents were actually reluctant because they didn't want their kids uh, the kid to grow up uh, just working in movies uh, they right. thought that it might affect his academic life but uh, and imagine what uh, a loss it would have been yeah i guess i i can't imagine anyone else uh, playing the role of harry other than daniel radcliffe and uh, he sort of grew into the character i guess but uh, more he on that later yeah. uh, more on that later so i guess he was uh, the the best part was that when jk rowling jk rowling was 
involved in casting of every single character because she wanted to stay true to her story and she was very attached to her story so uh, she uh, one condition that she gave that we all know that everyone had to be a british actor they cannot cast right. any american actors and right. so it narrowed down sort of the selection of actors and on top of that uh, although after seeing thousands of rejected cast videos uh, the moment jk rowling also saw daniel radcliffe's video she was also taken aback she also said that you know that that boy had has that charm that uh, that that magic that harry should have in his eyes and we know right. how exaggerated the eyes segment was throughout the films <laughs> yeah by the way speaking of uh, having exclusively british actors like people from the three isles uh, i don't know if you knew this but the name of the book is harry potter and the philosopher's stone but for the movie yeah, it was changed there has yeah, been a big was debate to over sorcerer's that stone also. Yeah, yeah i heard that controversy because so uh, yeah so i remember that controversy actually when i saw the film for the first time which was airing on cartoon network at that time and uh, that film was named harry potter and the sorcerer's stone but when i went to search for the book i was sort of surprised or taken aback you can say because the harry uh, the book's name was harry potter and the philosophers philosopher stone yeah philosopher stone harry potter and the philosopher yeah. stone and i think uh, you can uh, shine more light into that topic yeah yeah uh, actually that was done as a marketing tactic because people in usa and uh, also lots of other places around the world they're not very familiar with the philosopher and they will not relate it to something that is magical like they would oh, wow. for the name I didn't, a sorcerer I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, because when you say philosopher, you kind of tend to you tend to kind of imagine someone who thinks a lot, someone who is very elderly, someone who is prone to thinking, but you do not realize that it is supposed to be a sorcerer, a magician. But in terms of the book, like you, when you said that they have changed some stuff in the book, so this was actually included in the DVD release and wasn't there on the theatrical release. It's that Uh, they discussed with the origins of the sorcerer stone or the philosopher stone and uh, the origin is that it it was made by a person called nicolas flamel who was an alchemist and was 600 years old because yeah, the stone yeah, I gives heard that mortality it's really fascinating yeah. i think they didn't uh, shower that much light in the initial release you were mentioning something about the challenges of uh, having so many kids so what do you think like the director would like face like when they were trying to make this film like there must have been a lot of challenges because it is very very difficult to actually film so many children acting out some crucial parts of the film because after yeah, all this and, is all uh, I guess uh, like one of the biggest challenges was that uh, the three of them uh, Daniel Radcliffe not so much because he had some prior acting experience but Emma Watson and Rupert Grint they were non actors if you remember right. and most of the cast the Uh, the kids cast were non actors so you can really see the struggle uh, but in a very innocent way the struggle of their fumbling and uh, the repetition of words that later went away as we further progress in the films but uh, mm. like even uh, i remembered uh, seeing a interview of chris columbus where he was saying that if you notice very very carefully that the film is uh, has a lot of Uh, jump cuts or uh, has a lot of fast pace cuts and the reason yeah. for that 
was not a cinematic choice but rather a issue that they were facing due to their uh, acting and random stalling and after multiple takes when they are mm. like uh, so to say uh, tired of taking the same takes again and again and obviously we all know that if an actor is asked to give too many takes of a scene their uh, performance eventually yeah. degrades yeah so they it, it and does. It on top of that they were time. just kids they were just young kids yeah. so you cannot keep on doing like asking them to give it takes so they just in the edit they have a lot of fast cuts when the dialogues and all are happening so that's one right. big challenge that they solved the second issue was that uh, like kids imagining that they were in hogwarts and i think that was the biggest challenge even for the director as well as the kids because they had to imagine that they were flying on a broomstick on a bloody broomstick and that right. they were uh, seeing magical creatures for the first time and uh, also i guess emma watson was one of the first people who had read the entire book uh, and was like ranting about it even before the film started but other people were discovering their characters as they went throughout the film and mm. uh, it was a big journey i would say and if i guess if you go frame by frame next time if you watch harry potter and the sorcerer's stone right. i guess you can also see that their eye i guesses don't match towards the imaginary okay. creatures sometimes when they watch or their reactions are not that scary and right. i guess yeah and also for the director i guess one of the biggest challenges also might have been to bring the entire world to life like uh, yeah i mean that would like i would imagine that is, requires a lot of vfx and cgi yeah like imagine they didn't have any sort of references right like there is no such place as hogwarts right. or something like that so it was completely based out of imagination and i guess the the first few films took inspiration from real life counterparts such as old castles old churches mm-hmm. and uh, old uh, ruins of castles and stuff and they shot in real locations which was later on in uh, the later films it was developed and more iterations were done and eventually they uh, shot most of it in green screen and chucked the real life locations and if, if right. you see the behind the scenes videos of some of them you can actually see that the director is uh, literally struggling to hide random statue of some bygone king of that era in england and scotland right. uh, just to have this uh, kid flying with a broomstick across the field so that was a big right. big challenge and uh, they handled it quite well although i would say the vfx has aged so much yeah, that you can actually aged. see the transitions when uh, the transition from where the real person is there and when the animation takes over but i guess yeah. uh, we can give it a pass because come on like it's almost like Uh, uh, yeah. 20 years I mean, you're being now. introduced to a world of magic. Like this can be forgiven, especially like if you see the troll and you see like he's not exactly like real, but he's not supposed to be real. So yeah. you know, it can be. You can give it a pass. Yeah, it's but I guess the essence, time. the essence of a character, even if it's imaginary, that was captured mm. really well. And I guess yeah. that essence is something which still makes it a pleasurable experience that you can still watch today. By the way, you talked about using real-life castles to depict Hogwarts. Like, how do you think they visioned it? I mean, I I've read about it and I've learned that they used 
replicas and miniatures and even real life sets where they built the yeah so castle. i just talked about the so, real life sets and also they had inspiration from Hogwarts to real life. life i guess stephanie mcmillan had a major part to play in that and i remember seeing an interview along with chris columbus about them where uh, they were talking how initially the designs were sort of uh, flimsy but they did try their best and uh, surprisingly jk rowling was very fond of how hogwarts was created because she had sort of a similar image in mind uh, and right. also seeing the way they did they shot the entire hogwarts like long shots they actually created a replica and uh, they put green screens behind that and they shot it and then they replaced it and i guess it the visuals came really really well and uh, as i told yeah. you about the struggles of real life locations well that was there and uh, they did uh, sort of ma- even like uh, between in the same scenes like if you remember like uh, when uh, harry tries to catch the snitch for the first time and professor mcgonagall yeah. uh, eventually s- saw him uh, catching that ball uh, that snitch and uh, asked him to be the seeker of the quidditch team so actually right. those two were shot in different locations but they were gelled in so well that uh, yeah you, uh, like it's it seems almost seamless. seamless well it must be mentioned like the biggest thing that holds harry potter together throughout the whole series then all the stories it's the music john williams is one amazing oh my composer. god don't don't even start with that that's like hitting in a very special spot like we're talking about john fucking williams like the legend right. himself like the the person he has been like dubbed as the magical cons- uh, he's been dubbed he has been dubbed like as the magical composer in all films yeah and he like, did that is uh, create magic with the music like imagine uh, having to see the film without the music that that that, that it, it music won't work. is that the iconic theme that created that sort of uh, the magical feeling that is attached exactly. to every single room and aspect of harry potter films like even like when you see the forest in harry potter right. and when you see the uh hagrid's hut when you see the gryffindor common room when you see the dining hall and uh, when you see uh, harry uh, harry's parents and their murder happening then when you see diagon alley like all those scores were meticulously made to feel the charm and i guess without john williams harry potter wouldn't have been a success of what it is today i think of definitely big, like even i remember having <laughs> having the harry potter's tunes as ringtones and it's it's so well crafted that yeah. even whenever even if you are far far away and you, if you hear the sounds of the hedwig's theme right and, and uh, i'll have to sort say of like bring one of the back flashes of memories of the entire series and it almost plays like a theater in your head and it's that is where John William becomes an expert and a magician in that sense a magician of music. Yeah. I don't know if you know this but there are actually two themes that run the Harry Potter movie franchise. You know, one of them is especially in the first one, Hedwig's theme is definitely one because it introduces the the world and that's the mood of the film if you want to say. Mm. The other one is called uh, Harry's Wondrous World. 
So every time Harry discovers something new of, yeah, of yeah, the yeah. wizarding world, and we discover it along with them. So that's the theme we hear, and these two are kind of played as a light motive throughout the film. Yeah, especially like when uh, I remember uh, a part of it was playing when Harry sees uh, his parents in the mirror uh, for the first time, and yeah. uh, that's uh, that, that's a window to the past. Yeah, that window yeah. to the past, and uh, that the beautiful simple piece sort of. takes can almost create that sadness that loss of a mm. kid's parents in like the kid who barely knew his parents and pa- they passed away sadly uh like the like, right. and i guess that music fills the void and gives brings out that sympathy for from all of us yeah one of the hardest things about uh, harry potter i felt was uh, the sound of magic like Yes, you are creating a spell, but how do you make it sound? You know, because that yeah, like sound, even even experience. crafting sounds of uh, like wand swishes and magic spells. Like exactly. imagine how hard it have, must have been because nobody does uh, yeah. magic. Uh, nobody does like yeah, uh, because it's an entirely uh, new waves a wand around and uh, those sounds doesn't exist. so creating those yeah, and uh, yeah. making them as iconic that even if we close our eyes and listen listen to that music we can still point it out that it was a wand swashed and uh, some potter heads can even tell right. the spell which was being cast yeah uh, well one of the things that christopher columbus actually told the supervising sound editor was that he did not want anything electronic so all of those sounds when the spells were cast Uh, they were actually made from real sounds some yeah. of them are like uh, jet yeah. pressured air and hooshes and all of those things were used and even in some cases they included animal sounds in between them to make it sound sinister yeah. especially for all the crazy spells like uh, like if you remember that scene where hermione kind of uh, like she petrifies neville before the three of them go yeah in that point So that's the sound of that spell was basically water freezing over ice, and it is just sped up to hmm. make it sound like that. And it's a beautiful creation. Yeah, beautiful in indeed. We, I, I don't think we uh, can justify this podcast if we uh, don't talk about uh, the chess scene and uh, the, the. Oh yes, wizard chess. That the chess scene was, I guess, one of the most memorable scenes because, like, they sort of changed the entire idea of chess. Like, whenever we see a chess board, it was so, it seemed so harmless, and we just like uh, moved yeah. the small, uh, so to say, pawns and stuff around. But uh, the stakes were set up so higher, so much higher when. Uh, like they were literally smashing the the pieces were smashing each other and almost they came to life and i never saw chess the same way again right there's a very interesting bit of tri- trivia there uh jeremy silman was the chess consultant for the film and uh, it, it is interesting because in that final wizard's chess scene jeremy silman actually had to come up with a way that makes that an actual checkmate and that was created in the film like that is a legit check that is a legit chess move it actually ends up being a checkmate 
Yeah, it's, I guess uh, some expert advice was needed to make the perfect checkmate. Yeah. And uh, I believe that about ends our discourse on one of the greatest introduction to the best fantasy Yeah, I hope uh, this hasn't been uh, sort of two Potterheads ranting about how much they love Harry Potter, but I guess... Uh, and I do hope you guys it's, have it's, some it's, filmmaking it's insights. Not, uh, it's not that bad either to say that I'm, uh, we all are uh, proud Potterheads and we will continue to be because after all, uh, the magic that J.K. Rowling created is now a world in itself and it will always uh, like it will always inspire generations and generations to come who discover the books or the film. Right, definitely. And for those of you who haven't uh, like experienced this world yet, I would like I think we would both really suggest like we should Yeah, watch it today, of, dude. Watch you it know, today. Introduce if you it haven't to the yet, world. Yeah. You don't know what you're missing. It is definitely a piece of legend. Yeah, Anyways, thank you for joining us in this podcast. We, if you do like it, please like, share and subscribe. And also comment below on your ideas of what the Harry Potter world meant to you. And that would be... Yeah, you know, we, we would, would really love to, love to know what and, your thoughts are. And if, you, if we have missed some uh, pointers that, or some interesting stories of, uh, related to Sorcerer's Stone, that you might have discovered or you might know just uh, share it down in the comments and and we'll definitely try to include it in our uh, upcoming podcasts yes thank you for joining until next time bye bye stay tuned for more episodes of the drowsy eyes podcast we are a creative communications house that has aced the domain of audio and video production for artist development social media advertising and film until next time